You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. How can I, a sinful, imperfect being, be right with God? And whether or not we admit this, everyone has this desire innate within them because we're made in God's image and likeness. And we all have a desire for someone to say, you are forgiven, you are justified, you are made righteous. And this expresses itself in different ways. We can pursue it in religious ways and non-religious ways, but somehow we try to make ourselves righteous in some way. So in non-religious ways, we can maybe say, I will make myself righteous by taking care of the environment, by recycling, riding my bike to work, things like that. There's a lot of ways we could look at. Another way is I found this on the internet, that there was a contest of atheists, and they had several thousand submissions to come up with the atheist Ten Commandments. So they have a Ten Commandments to feel justified. Now I know where they're coming from. I was an atheist until about three years ago. And so I'm always appealed to how atheists see things because I understand where they're coming from. But they came up with the atheist Ten Commandments in order for some way to feel justified and righteous. And here's what they are, because we'll come back to this later. First atheist commandment is to be open-minded and be willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Second, strive to understand what is most likely to be true not to believe what you wish to be true. Three, the scientific way is the most reliable way of understanding the natural world. Fourth commandment, every person has the right to control of their body. Number five, God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Sixth commandment, be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. Number seven, treat others as you would want them to treat you and can reasonably expect them to want to be treated. Think about their perspective. Number eight, we have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Number nine, there is no one right way to live. And number ten, leave the world a better place than you found it. And so those are the atheist Ten Commandments. If you do those things, then you can be considered a righteous atheist. And that's, again, part of our desire to be declared righteous. I mean, there's... Several problems with, again, I understand where they're coming from, and this is very, culturally, this is like the Ten Commandments of our culture. It's all about, you know, open-minded, being tolerant, things like that. But there's a few problems with that is, well, this is what Jesus calls the blind leading the blind, that those who can't see are leading other people who can't see. And it'd be kind of like, you know, as Christians or Jews, we have our Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus, where Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive from God direct revelation about God's commands for people. And to have our commandments that we've made outside of God is kind of like if God would have said to Moses, hey Moses, why don't you go 
ask the Israelites, the Israelites who are adulterous and covetous and thieving and immoral, ask them what should be the commands for a righteous life. It doesn't make sense. That's the blind leading the blind. And then what happens is, this leads to self-righteousness. We've talked about this in Romans a lot. You have a list of things that can make you self-righteous, and then you can declare yourself to be righteous if you follow it closely enough. And that's self-righteousness, because you're deciding the standard. But it's not just non-religious people that attempt to become righteous through what they do. Also, there's religious ways of doing it, like making sacrifices. Christians don't sacrifice animals, but a lot of religions do to please their God, because that's what will make their God pleased with them. Uh, Sometimes you pray in a certain direction at certain times of the day, and if you follow that, then you can be declared righteous before God. Uh, Doing rituals. As Christians, we have some rituals. We don't see them as that, but a lot of times we can do things ritualistically and thinking if we follow those close enough to traditions, then God will say that we're righteous. Or, there's a big one for Christians, following the Ten Commandments. If you follow God's Ten Commandments, then God will declare you to be righteous because you followed those things. And those are all religious ways we seek to become righteous. But there's problems with that as well. Because... Have you done these things good enough? That's the question. Hey, where can there be assurance? When our righteousness is based on what we've done, there's no assurance that we've done it good enough. And then there's no hope, there's no confidence. That's a very hard way to live, to live religiously following traditions and rules, because you never know if you're good enough. But then, it could make you think you are good enough. And all religion leads to either pride or despair. You either be proud of yourself that you follow the rules really well, and that makes you better than the people who don't, or you'll despair. You'll think, I can never do those things. I'll never be as good as that guy who follows the rule. And so there's, that's not the, the righteousness we seek. That's not true righteousness. That's self-righteousness. And so the problem remains, we cannot be declared righteous before God by religious ways or non-religious ways. So the question is, how can sinful, depraved, immoral, self-righteous, covetous, murderous, adulterous, hateful, idolatrous, imperfect, creative beings like us be made right in the eyes of a perfect, loving, holy, just, righteous, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty God? That's a tough question. How can we, being who we are, be made seen righteous in God's eyes as who He is? And that's what we're going to look at in Romans tonight is how God solves this problem brilliantly because he's God. He can probably figure it out. And how we can be justified through grace by faith in Jesus. And God remains just and he remains the justifier. That's what we're going to look at, how we can be connected with God, be made righteous before God. So in Romans, we're getting to the end of chapter 3 now and moving along to the next section. This to me is like the sunshine after a cloudy week. Because for the past five weeks, I've been studying about sin and uh, reading it, getting the sermons ready for Romans, studying. And now we get to talk about justification. It's like a breath of fresh air to, to move beyond that. But that was very important in Paul's letter to the Romans because it's almost like an essay on salvation, how you can be saved. And his the answer is right there, that just shall live by faith. And that's what Paul's proving in this letter. So the first thing he did the last few weeks when we looked in Romans was to prove that we have no works, all we can have is faith. So we can, the just, we cannot be justified by works. And he proved that through chapters 1 through 3. 
He said, we do these evil things, we are self-righteous, we are hypocritical, we argue about it, and we're all guilty. But now, he moves on to the idea of justification. That's our state, and so that we cannot be justified by works, but now by faith. So now he's going to prove that we're justified by faith. And the big idea is that because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we can only be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And all three of those parts are very important. And so that's the big idea tonight. Justified by grace through faith in Jesus. So before we get any further, I want to define a few terms so we all know what, what I'm talking about. First is justification. They talk about the idea of justification. What is justification? And biblically speaking, this is a legal term meaning to declare someone righteous. So to be justified means legally to be declared righteous. And the distinction that it's a legal term is very important because justification doesn't mean an inward change necessarily. Justification is not being made righteous internally. It's a legal declaration. So it works kind of like the idea of marriage. Okay, now, Adrian, my wife Adrian, we got married. Wait, let me check the date. No, I'm just kidding. I know. I wrote it down just to be sure, though. Yeah, maybe I got nervous. August 11th, 2006, we were married. And on that day, we weren't Christians at the time. So we're almost nine years married now in August. That's crazy. We got married very young. And, you know, if you've been married, you know, you've got to sign the document that says you're legally married. And then Adrian's uncle is a pastor, and he did the ceremony, and it was very awesome. He made it very personal to us, and it was great. And then he says, and I'll declare you husband and wife, and then we're married. It's a legal standing, right? My love didn't change when he said that. It's not like all of a sudden I was filled with more love, or being married doesn't change if you love someone or not love somebody. It's a legal status. And justification is like that. It doesn't change you inwardly necessarily, it can lead to that. Just like being married doesn't change your love, but it leads to a deeper love over time. It's, it's that idea. It's a legal term, meaning to declare righteous. That's justification. It's an outward thing. God legally saying this person is righteous, innocent, and free of all charges. But it doesn't necessarily mean an inward change. It has nothing to do with our inward change, actually. So that's justification, and that's what we all want. Uh, secondly, I want to define grace, so we all make sure justified by grace. That grace is God's unmerited favor on your life. It's favor that God has given you that you don't deserve. And you're not just undeserving, you are ill-deserving of God's favor. And so it's not that you just don't deserve God's favor, you deserve the opposite of God's favor. And that's what grace is. It's God's undeserved favor on you. And that's awesome. So that's we're made legally righteous by God's undeserved favor, by faith in Jesus. And it's, it's very important because faith itself doesn't... Faith is the avenue through which grace is bestowed. And it's not just faith. It has to be faith on something that can be good, like Jesus. Just faith in itself is not enough. So faith in Jesus. And this does not mean intellectual understanding that there was a guy named Jesus, and I believe in him. I went to a youth camp when I was in junior high, so now I you know, do whatever I want. That's not faith in Jesus. As Jesus talks about it, he talks about laying down your life, trusting in his promises, and God's plan of salvation for his people. So it's not just believing Jesus is somewhere out there looking over us. 
but that you've given your life to him, and in return he's given you the Holy Spirit that will transform you. So we're justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who did the work. So that being said, let's go now into Romans. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Uh, well, actually, let me read verse 20 for the context where he, he, Paul ended his argument of how we're all guilty. So in verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So that was last week Paul's concluding statement on everyone is guilty. No, uh, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be declared righteous in God's sight. So now moving on to, to how God does it. Let's read verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that's a very dense paragraph right there. Actually, Martin Luther, the one who started the Protestant Reformation and split the church off from Catholics, called this paragraph in his opinion, the most important section of Scripture in the whole Bible. So there's a lot in here. So we're going to unpack this tonight and then move on to the next paragraph as well. So what we'll see in this paragraph, in these verses, is eight things, eight, about justification through grace by faith in Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's look at those things, unpack this a little bit. First of all, he starts by saying, but now. Even that but now, that's, that's an important part in here. Because the now is referring to time. So this is the age we live in. We, theologians call it the age of grace. That we live in the age of grace. This is but now what we are living in. We are under grace. We're under God's unmerited favor in our lives. And this, there's a lot of buts in the Bible. Like but God, but you know, whatever. This might be the biggest but in the whole Bible in my opinion is because you have like three chapters. See some giggles? Okay. Uh, some, there, there's been several chapters of you're a sinner and you deserve condemnation, you deserve wrath, you deserve hell. Now we get but now. Okay, so that's a big but. After all, it's probably the longest section of Scripture, at least in the New Testament, where you're just getting hammered about your sin. But now. But now things are different. But now Jesus has come to the earth and died as a sacrifice for us. But now we live in the age of grace. Huge thing. So that's first. We live in the age of grace. Number two, justification is not through the law. So this is in verse 21. It says, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So in other words, you're not justified. You're not made illegally standing in good sight in God's eyes by the law, by things that you do, by obeying God's commands or by not doing these things, you're not made right by doing those things. That's not how things work anymore. That's actually how things never were. We'll see. We are not justified by doing things. 
And, and we, it's similar even in our world, in our justice system, how this works. So we all know Ted Bundy, right, the serial killer. Hey, Ted Bundy, the serial killer, was executed on January 24th, 1989. And most of his life he denied murdering anybody. But right before he was going to be executed, he confessed to the murder of 30 women. And there might be more, but that's what he confessed to. He confessed to murdering 30 women right before he was executed. And then he was executed by the electric chair. And so he paid the ultimate price for his crimes. He had to pay with his own life. So Ted Bundy, before he was executed, or after he committed his crimes, confessed to his crimes and paid the ultimate price for his crimes. But is Ted Bundy, Bundy innocent? of his crimes? Can you declare him righteous because he confessed and he paid the price? No. And so the things we do do not declare us righteous as well. It doesn't erase all the things by doing things, by trying to follow the law and be obedient to God. It doesn't take away the things that we've done. That's why we cannot be justified through the works of the law because it was never intended for that. It's just like we cannot say someone is justified because they were executed. They're still guilty of their crimes, and you're still guilty of your crimes no matter what you've done. So we cannot be justified by our works. And that's what it says right here, through the deeds of the law. Uh, third thing about justification through grace, grace by faith in Jesus. going to get a tongue twister. Hey, this is, has always been God's plan. In the Old Testament, it seems like maybe the Israelites missed this piece of it for the most part. But this has always been God's plan to declare people righteous. has always been by grace, not through being obedient to God's commands. So in verse 21, when Paul writes, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That phrase, the law and the prophets, whenever you read that in the New Testament, what it means is the Old Testament, because they didn't have two testaments then. So they called it the law, that was the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then the prophets are all the prophets. So that phrase comes with the law. The law and the prophets means the Old Testament. So this idea of justification by grace is witnessed in the Old Testament by the law and the prophets. And next week we'll get into this in more detail uh, when Paul continues on this idea. But this has always been God's plan. God has never justified people by the things that they've done. He's always declared people righteous by grace through faith. That's always been. So there's Several Old Testament scriptures that show this. I'll just read a few. Genesis 15.6 says, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So he's declared righteous because he believed in the Lord. And that's a huge thing in the next section of chapter 4, Romans. We'll get to next week. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. That puts it pretty clear. That's what Paul was quoting at the beginning of this letter. The just shall live by faith is from the Old Testament. So the people who have been justified have always been justified by faith. Isaiah 53.11 By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's an awesome verse about Jesus written 700 years before Jesus came to the earth. My righteous servant, that's Jesus, shall justify many. Jesus will make many people be declared righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, that was written about him. So that's always been God's plan. 
Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. And then in the New Testament, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we won't read it, but the author of Hebrews brings up pretty much all the major characters of the Old Testament and says how they were justified by faith. So this has always been God's plan, but even today we still continue to have this idea that we're justified before God by our works, by the things we do. We are not justified by the things we do. It's The whole story of the Bible says that. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New. The things we do are in response to our justification, but they don't make us God love us more. He already does. He already died for us. It doesn't make God... We don't make God do things. And we have this backwards idea about things. And we are not justified by our works. And it's very easy to slip into that works mindset where we have to do this, have to do this, or God will be mad at me. And maybe, maybe not, but He's not going to take away salvation from you because it's already been granted. Uh, So we... When we think we need to be good to please God, it goes against everything He's ever revealed in His Word. The entire Bible never says anything about be a good person and God will accept you. But that's the predominant idea in our culture, not just outside of Christianity, but in Christianity. That's the predominant idea about God. If even people go to Christian churches, that's not what the Bible says. And number four, fourth thing about justification by grace is that everyone can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Everybody. So verse 22 says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And this was revolutionary then, and it's revolutionary now. And think about the other religions in the world, and they're predominantly one culture. And most Muslims are Arab or Middle Eastern most people who practice Judaism are ethnically Jewish, and most Hindus are Indian. So even today, we're very segregated racially by religion, except Christianity. Christianity is all races, all the whole world, and it's the only religion like that, or the only belief system like that, because justification by grace is for everybody. And most other religions can't say that. I don't think any, at least what I've found. And that's, again, a revolutionary idea still today. And things like, you know, I read about at the beginning, the Atheist Ten Commandments, it has the, the impression that, oh, this is much more tolerant than the Christian idea of Ten Commandments, that it's, it's much more open-minded. But not really, because not everyone can be justified by those things. You have to follow them. Christianity says everybody can be justified by grace, through faith in Jesus. It's open to everybody, no matter what race you are, what your background is, or even what sins you've committed. And this is the big difference about Christianity. No matter what sin, everyone can be justified by grace, through faith in Jesus. So everyone who is unrighteous can be justified by grace, through faith in Jesus. Everyone who is sexually immoral can be justified by grace, through faith in Jesus. Everyone who is wicked can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Everyone who is covetous, everyone who is malicious, can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Everyone who is full of envy, full of murder, full of strife, full of deceit, full of evil-mindedness, can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. 
Everyone who is a whisperer, everyone who is a hater of God, everyone who is violent, everyone who is proud, everyone who is boastful, everyone who is an inventor of evil things, everyone who is disobedient to parents, everyone who is undiscerning, everyone who is unloving, everyone who is unforgiving, everyone who is unmerciful, everyone who is self-righteous, everyone who is hypocritical can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And this is like nothing else that's out there. There's no other thing that provides that. We can do all, and not even just one of those things, we can be all those things, and we probably are, and still be justified by grace through faith in Jesus to all and on all who believe. Okay, number five, everyone needs justification by grace through faith in Jesus. And this is verse 23. It says, that, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Martin Luther, again, he was very high on the... Romans is what made him to separate from the Catholic Church. And he says this verse in particular is the chief point, the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. And so this verse to him is very important to say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so have you sinned? Yeah. Then you fall short of God's glory. And nothing can gain that back. Nothing can make you righteous by the things you do can gain that back. Not by being a good person. Not by saving the earth. Not by giving to charity. Not by following religious rules. Nothing can gain back that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So again, we need to get rid of this works idea mindset that we can work hard enough to please God. That's not how it works. And number six. Justification is a free gift. Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift, justified freely. Again, all those sins, all the things you've ever done is you're declared righteous freely. You don't have to pay a punishment. You don't have to pay a price. It's already been done by Jesus. And so in this verse, there's two images of our justification that I think are helpful to, to keep, just to conceptualize this idea. First is, it's the image of a courtroom. This is actually the first time the word justified is used in this section. It says, being justified freely by His grace. So we're freely declared righteous by God's undeserved favor on your life. And the Greek word, this was originally written in Greek, the word justified is a legal term. So automatically you bring to mind courtroom. Like if you hear the word verdict, you think of a courtroom. So, the image here of a courtroom is that you are declared guilty, but you're also declared free to go. You've, you're guilty, but you are pardoned. Your price has already been paid. That's justification. That Jesus already paid whatever punishment you would have better than you could pay it. He's already absorbed God's wrath. There's no payment left for you to make. Even though you're guilty, it's been paid for. You're free to go. So that's the courtroom image. There's also an image of slavery. When it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that word redemption, I love reading that. Whenever you read that in the New Testament, it's a, again, in Greek, it's a word specifically to the slave trade. And that word is the word when you purchase someone out of slavery. So when the Bible talks about redemption, it's talking about Jesus purchasing you out of the slavery of your sin. And, so this is in that culture. Now we have different ideas of slavery than they had. Uh, 
Not that slavery is good ever, but the American slavery was much more oppressive and, uh, I don't know, evil than in the Roman world, even though there was a lot of evil in it. And there were actually ways you could become a voluntary slave in this culture in the Roman Empire. You could be, enslave yourself to pay off a debt. If you go into extreme debt, instead of declaring bankruptcy, you might have to say, well, okay, I'll enslave myself to whoever I owe the debt to until I pay it off. You can also voluntarily enslave yourself for employment. So if you're maybe a, a poor person and you see a rich person, you say, I will work for you without pay, but you're going to provide you know, food and shelter for my family. So that was a voluntary slavery. But there's also was involuntary slavery that day. Like it, it, most commonly, if you're taken as a prisoner of war, which is very common, or this was a lot of times, we'll talk more about this later, but abandoned infants would a lot of times be enslaved. It was very common in that day to just throw away babies you didn't want and throw them in the dump. And a lot of times if the wrong person picked that up, they would enslave them or prostitute them. And that would be involuntary slavery. Now the idea here is we are slaves to sin, biblically speaking, because we do what sin wants us to do. Whether it's voluntarily, sometimes we voluntarily enslave ourselves to sin. We know something's wrong, but in that moment we don't care. We just do it. Because our desire to do that is greater than our desire to not do it. So we do it. So it's a voluntary enslavement. Sometimes it's involuntary. You can't stop yourself. I mean, it's gone too far. And so we are enslaved by sin voluntarily and involuntarily. And the word redemption is Jesus paying the price to purchase your freedom from that. And that's the second picture of being purchased out of slavery. And number seven, justification by grace through faith in Jesus fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system. So this is verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Okay, so here's the third picture of our justification is the Old Testament sacrificial system. We might not be all that familiar with it. It's described primarily in Leviticus, if you want to read that. But the, to summarize, there was the Day of Atonement. That was the most important day of the Jewish year because on that day the high priest, one guy, would offer sacrifices to cover the sins of all the Israelites. And to do that, he would uh, go into the Holy of Holies, and this is where God said, my presence will dwell on this earth. See, now we have God dwelling in us. That's why it says that our body is a temple. But in those days, God said, he said, I will dwell in this room, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, and no one could go in there except one guy on one day of the year. And that's the only person who could be in God's presence. And that's why we're in the age of grace, because we're not under those, uh, that sacrificial system anymore. But that priest, before he could go in there, he himself had to be ceremonially cleansed of his sin, or else he would die when he went in God's presence with sin upon him. And then he would go in there with the blood of an animal. There would be animal sacrifices to, to cover sin. And he would sprinkle the altar with blood. And then God would say, if they did everything right, he'd say then, my people are forgiven for this year and we'll do another Day of Atonement next year. And hopefully it all works out. And so Jesus is our great high priest because he goes into, high, into God's presence to sprinkle his blood on the altar for our forgiveness. But one time only, it says very clearly. But also it says here that 
uh, demonstrate it. Where am I? Something about, oh, there you go. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's also part of the Old Testament sacrifice, that there would be two animals on the Day of Atonement slaughtered. And one would be the propitiation, the propitiatory sacrifice. If this was the animal they would confess all their sins on. They'd look it in the eye and say, here's the sins we've committed. And then they would slaughter that animal. And that animal's blood would be the propitiation. And that means God would, his wrath would pass over them for another year till the next day of atonement when they do it again. So that animal will be slaughtered to remove God's wrath. And there was a second animal called the expiation that they'd do the same thing, confess their sins on, but they'd let that one go to show their sin has been removed from them. And Jesus is both of those. He is our propitiation. It says repeatedly that he is the sacrifice that appeased God's wrath. His blood was spilled so God's wrath wouldn't be upon us anymore. But he's also our expiation. He removes our sin from us. Just like the scapegoat who would run away and all the sin would be removed. So that's the other picture of our justification. It fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system because Jesus is all of that. He finally... Justification by grace through faith in Jesus demonstrates God's righteousness. So verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that, might, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So this idea that God declares us in good standing with him by his undeserved favor on us through our faith in Jesus it declares or demonstrates God's righteousness. And actually in this day, the accusation against God is why isn't he judging people more? Why is he letting people get away with the things they're doing? Whereas today it's why would God judge anybody? We're imperfect. So he's saying that Paul is writing that God was looking over those sins until a true atonement was made through Jesus. But also says, I love the way that it's written here, that God is just and the justifier. So God, by declaring us legally in good standing, with him, by his undeserved favor, through faith in his son Jesus, and trusting in his sacrifice, God remains just. He doesn't compromise his holiness by forgiving sinners of their sin. And there's still a payment made. He's also still, the, he is the justifier. He's the one who does it. Because Jesus is God and he did the work. And God the Father accepted that sacrifice, demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection. So God is just and the justifier because of this. And it was the only way. The Bible is very clear if there is any other way for us to become justified, God wouldn't have sent His Son to die for us. This is the only way God could be just and be the justifier. And so there's, again, a lot in that paragraph, very important, very densely compacted, but it's all about we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And so the last thing, now I want to just make sure to talk about what does this matter? How can we apply this? in our lives? Like what are the practical implications of this idea of justification by grace through faith? First of all is that we cannot boast. Verses 27 and 28. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So this idea that we're justified not by anything we do excludes the idea of boasting. We're not going to stand before God and hand Him our resume and say, hey, you should let me into heaven because I've done all these things. Then there'd be something to boast about. And He's the only one who's righteous, so He's the only one who should be praised. Think about in other 
religions where you justify yourselves, where you do enough good works for God to accept you, why worship that God? Because aren't you the God by making yourself righteous? Our God declares you righteous by the works He already did. So there's no boasting. And this leads to a humility that could be found in no other worldview. Because again, self-righteousness leads either to pride or despair. You think you're better than people, or you think you're never good enough. So there's a humility here, because we didn't do the work of declaring ourselves righteous. And secondly, this idea rehumanizes people. So in verse 29 at the end of the chapter, it says, Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And so by this, God has reconciled Jews and Gentiles. Jews are people who follow God, Gentiles those who are not, and they're all made together and they're rehumanized. They're not those dirty, sinful Gentiles. We're all need justification by grace. And we do this. We, we have a tendency to demonize people that are different than us. So people that are rich oftentimes will demonize the poor. They will, if they could just get their act together, they won't take so much of my tax money, and why should I have to pay into welfare? Demonize the poor. People who are poor oftentimes will demonize the rich. Well, they have the money, why can't they help me out? It's not that much to them. Uh, those who are atheists oftentimes demonize theists. We need to get God out of schools. It's influencing our kids, and it's been a stain on humanity. Then those who are theists demonize atheists. Those godless atheists have no morals, and they're destroying the American family. So we do this. Those that are different from us, we demonize. But this idea of justification by grace through faith in Jesus rehumanizes everybody because we're all in the same standing. We all need Jesus sacrificed to make us justified. And no one's better than anyone else in this. And no one has earned it more than anyone else. And we're all in the same thing. Third, we become fellow heirs with Christ by justification through grace. If you're an heir, you, you get wealth that you didn't earn, and that's what Jesus did for us, that he earned salvation, and we get to inherit that in eternal life. We become united with Christ. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, and we are united with God. We're free. Yeah, this is a hugely freeing idea because we don't have to work for our forgiveness, for our salvation. It's given to us. It's like, I mean, even if you have a job that you love, if you have to pay the bills, there's that element in there too that maybe it's not going to cover everything. But this is like having all the money you could ever need, and then you get to work your job just for the pleasure of it, just for doing it because you want to. Since we've already been forgiven, we don't have to work for that. We're free to work because of that, in response to that, out of freedom and joy. And we have hope, because it's not up to us if we're declared righteous. And if the hope is in yourself, how do you know if you're good enough? So we have hope. And finally, we have confidence in our salvation. Instead of being unsure, and a lot of times we're still unsure as Christians, but this is God's promise that by grace, through faith in Jesus, you will be saved and always be saved if you lay down your life to Him. It's a hugely important idea. So, finally, conclusion. Uh, now, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the entire Bible. He wasn't always just saying nice, loving things. He talked about hell, which sometimes can be loving. 
Now, when Jesus says the word hell, in Greek it's actually the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. So when Jesus was talking about hell, he, he used the word Gehenna to bring to mind this garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And this is a first century garbage dump, no modern day sanitation systems, filled with rotting animal carcasses, filled with human waste, animal waste, human bodies were in there, garbage, maggots, disease, sewage. This is the worst place he could think of, and that's what he, the word for that he used for hell, Jesus did. Additionally, children a lot of times are sacrificed in Gehenna. They will put them through fire as a sacrifice to please their God. And a lot of times, unwanted babies were dumped there. There'd be babies dumped in the garbage dump Gehenna if they didn't want that baby. Jesus completely revolutionized the idea of kids because he said, let the little kids come to me. And he wasn't too busy for little kids. And we value kids today a lot in a lot of ways because Jesus did. Because in that culture, kids didn't mean a lot. Most of them died when they were young. And a lot of them were abandoned, just thrown into garbage dumps. And by the way, we have no moral high ground for this because we murder a lot of little babies, fetuses, right? It's, but that's been going on for a long, long time. Now in Gehenna, the early Christians would go through Gehenna and find those babies. Hey, those babies wouldn't have been cared for by anyone. There was no social systems. The Roman government wouldn't have cared for those babies. And if anyone found them, they were typically enslaved or they were prostituted. But the early Christians, our forefathers in the faith, would go through Gehenna and find these babies and take them into their family and adopt them and rescue them out of Gehenna. And the Bible uses this language of adoption when it's talking about justification. It's the same thing. These babies, they didn't do anything. They were just there. They were in their place. So someone looked on those babies and had mercy on them put grace on them, undeserved favor. They, they didn't do anything to deserve that favor, but because of grace, because of love, those babies were taken away and brought into a family and saved. And God adopts us into His family through His only begotten Son, Jesus. And Jesus plucks us from Gehenna, so to speak, from hell, by the work He did and declares us righteous. Not because of anything we did. We're just a baby lying there in the dump covered with depravity and the most disgusting things we could ever imagine. And Jesus pulls us out of that. And what did Jesus shout on the cross triumphantly before he died? It is finished. And that was him guaranteeing our salvation, pulling us from Gehenna, from hell, and adopting us into his family. And that's the picture of justification by grace through faith in Jesus. Because it was... Jesus who did the work. So if you know Jesus, this is, this is our lifeblood here, justification by grace. And this is your identity if you know Jesus. This is who you are. You are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. But Christianity doesn't stop at justification. Remember, justification is a legal declaration, not an internal change. Hey, but that identity that we are justified that way should lead to becoming more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. That we'll become more like that because we've been saved. Because we've been pulled from Gehenna. Hey, those babies that were rescued by the early Christians, they grew up and hopefully didn't even remember that 
And they were completely transformed by their family, by having a loving family to nurture them and raise them. And because we've been rescued from that by Jesus, then we need to be transformed by him, like those babies would have been, and be transformed more and more like Jesus. Not that we'll be perfect, but that we become more like him. So this is our identity, and who you are should determine what you do. And who you are is justified. You are declared righteous. You are forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus. So let's keep going in that. Keep reading the Bible, praying, serving, being generous. All those things that God commands us, now we do those things out of joy, not to gain His love. But if you don't know Jesus, how are you ever going to know if you're righteous? How are you ever going to know if you've done enough to please whatever you're trying to do? There's, there's no assurance there. How can you ever be sure you've attained your own righteousness? A justification by grace is a gift. And any gift has to be accepted before it works. So if you don't know Jesus, I pray you'd accept this gift tonight okay, so that you can be sure of all these things, so that you can be saved from hell, from Gehenna by Jesus, and be transformed by Him. So do you see the love that our Father has for us through His Son, Jesus? A justification is contrary to everything we think. It's obtained, not attained. We get it. We don't earn it. Hey, we all have a desire to be justified. And the only way we can be justified is by grace, through faith in Jesus. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for your son, for your plan of redemption. I just... I love seeing how this all comes together and just seeing the love that you have for your people when we don't deserve it, the grace that you have for us and everything that you've done for us even though we don't deserve it. And God, I, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to work in all of our hearts as we go through the week to be more like our Lord Jesus, to just be transformed by what our identity is in you. And God, if there's anyone who doesn't know your son Jesus, I pray... You would work in their hearts right now, open their eyes to see that righteousness is there, justification is given freely, and it just needs to be accepted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.